0: Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 and 7. Let me uh, uh, grab a couple verses here, read for you, set us up for where we're headed today. And Verse 6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted in him, built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught. Um, huge verse, verse I learned years and years and years ago in my life especially in college as a college student and coming to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's about uh, coming to that place of driving the stake in the ground and receiving Christ as my Savior and then walking in Him and walking in Him and growing in Him and that's rooted, built up and established and that means failures and that means successes and that's part of the whole process of it. And this is so much of what we are as a church Wanting people to come to understand what God's Word has to say about knowing Christ and then growing in Christ, we want to further that. Isn't that who we are? Isn't that who we are. That is. Uh, there's three words I haven't read yet uh, at the end of verse seven that are not an asterisk to what it looks like to be one who is redeemed and walking in Christ. It's also not a suggestion in it, and it's kind of not a dot, 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 oh, by the way, in parentheses. It's part of it. So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk and Him, rooted in Him, built up in Him, established in the faith as you were, as you were taught. And look at the three words. I'm reading an English Standard Version that says, abounding in thanksgiving. The New American Standard says, overflowing with gratitude, New International Version, It says, overflowing with thankfulness. I like that word, overflowing. Abounding has that idea, but of overflowing, it means like, the see on the side screens, it's just like, it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming, overflowing, pouring out, laid out. Here, here's the thing about this. The biblical call at this time of year of thanksgiving, the biblical call is not to be thankful, The biblical call is to be a person and people overflowing with thankfulness. There's a difference. I'll say this, anybody can be thankful. An atheist can be thankful. But overflowing with thankfulness, wow, that's something altogether different, right? Hey. That's awesome. Um. Hey, I want for you to know straight up right here at this point, because commonly on Thanksgiving times, when, especially when you look and you see in the sermon notes that we're talking about thankfulness, uh, this is sometimes the time where uh, it's, the pastor is going to guilt us into how we stink at being thankful. I don't want to do that today. I just don't want to do that. Honestly, it's too easy to do that. And uh, I don't want you leaving guilted I want you leaving encouraged and equipped, because as you see the overflowing, part of the question that comes, where does that water keep coming from? What causes that just to keep coming and coming and coming? And so that's where I want to go today. What is it with this overflowing thing? How can I be that more? How can we be that more? Because I think we would agree, we live in a Psalm 2 raging mad world, right? I mean, like, the world we live in is just so raging mad and it's so unthankful. I mean, shopping on Good Friday. It's like doggy dog, right? It's like, where's the thankfulness in that? It's other like, give me that flat screen TV, you creep. That's what's going on. That wasn't in my notes. Um, but there's mad and unthankful at work and at school, there's mad and unthankful in driving. There's mad and unthankful in social media. By the way, Samuel Liebowitz, a criminal lawyer and judge, litigated some 78 men from the electric chair. He's recorded as having saying, out of those 78 men whom he litigated from the electric chair, not one thanked him. Isn't that interesting? By the way, Jesus healed 10 lepers, Luke chapter 17. says that only one thanked him. Jesus is recording in Luke 17 as saying, uh, we're not ten climes, where are the other nine? It's interesting. We live in a raging, mad, unthankful world, and yet God's people are called to be overflowing with thankfulness people. I would suggest an overflowing with thankfulness people is a radical departure from and a radical testimony to a raging, mad, unthankful world. True? But the question is, how do we be that? Because i got to tell you, I, I, I need to grow in this. You too? I need to grow in this. And so how do we be that? How, how do we do that? Well, turn now over to Psalm 107, Psalm 107. If you're new with us, we've been October and November. Uh, this fall, we've been just falling into the Psalms, I've called it, and just kind of as a time to be revived, refreshed. I've not really preached a whole lot out of the Psalms and Um, So I wanted to do that, and the Lord just used it greatly in my life. I'm going to Psalm 107 just because of this topic here, um, overflowing with thankfulness. How do we be that? And I think this psalm helps us to understand that. Let me put a statement on the table here at this point. Only a faith that is beholding and declaring. By the way, the last two Sundays in the Psalms have been faith beholds and faith declares. Only a faith that is beholding and declaring will be a faith that overflows with thanksgiving. Maybe a way I could say that is we're to see it and say it. We're to see it and say it. What are we to see? Well, that's what we're going to take a look in the psalm. Bottom line, we're going to see God at work. Little beholding and declaring means little giving of thanks. Well, let's dive into Psalm 107. Quick context of the chapter before we dive in. Psalm 105 Uh, actually talks about, uses the illustration of God's people being brought out from the exodus and God's faithfulness during that time. Psalm 106 emphasizes the Lord's long-suffering care for his people. And then you come into Psalm 107, and it just emphasizes the Lord's redeeming work in his people during a time of captivity. I need to know that as we're about to read here, the context of Psalm 107 is God's people, the Israelites, were were scattered. It was a time of captivity. It was actually a time where God's people, remember last year we had gone through a good part of Judges if you were here. And it's like God's people just like are never getting their feet rolling with real relationship in a long-term kind of a way. And, and so what happens is God eventually puts them kind of into captivity, he spreads them out, and, and literally by God's design, he puts them under some hard times that they would come to see that uh, living in and under the Lord is the place to live in. And so this is writing out of much of that captivity time. It was a hard time for God's people. But God was lovingly, as we saw in the psalm last Sunday, testing his children, helping them come to see him with that. So let's take the next 30 here and let's, let's go through a Psalm 107. Let me begin with the first three verses. And then what? just so you know what's coming, the first three verses set the chapter. Then there's four stories. How many? There's four stories, and I think each of these stories, talking about in this time of captivity, uh, frankly, not only kind of proclaim the gospel, but but also in it, uh, uh, tell these four stories of times where people learning what thankfulness is, and then we come to the conclusion on that. So let's begin with the first three verses. Here we go, verse one. Oh, give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his steadfast love, it endures for how long? Now, I'm not a real smart guy, but I do understand a little bit of English. And if I have it correctly, forever is a long time. Am I right on that? His steadfast love endures forever. Verse two, I love this. I'd encourage you to underline it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south, making reference to this whole captivity and the gathering back of during that time. Well, what are the redeemed of the Lord to do? Well, verse 1, they're to give thanks, and they're to give thanks to the Lord. Verse 2, and they're to say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This is a psalm, and psalms not only are saying, it's, it's imagery, it's poetry, it's song in that. And it's, sometimes we can have the idea that, well, I think thankful thoughts, but no, part of thinking thankful thoughts results in saying thankful things. That's a tongue twister. Okay? We're to not only just think it, but we're to say it, see it, and say it. Why are the redeemed to see and say so? Four reasons are given for us in verse one. Because God is good. You know, let's be honest about it. Sometimes it doesn't seem like God is so good in our circumstances, does it? But God is, as we're going to see in the chapter. There are some days where it's like, "Hey, uh, God, are you like awake? Are you paying attention to what's going on here?" Because like things aren't so great right now. But God is good. Also, verse 1, his steadfast love endures forever. God is good and God loves. Because, verse uh, 2, he has redeemed those from trouble, from the foe. And also, number 4, verse 3, because he has gathered those whom he loves from the lands. God is good, God is steadfast love, and God redeems and God gathers. Man, the Gospels and all that. Well, let's hit now these stories, these four stories, verses 4 through 32, four accounts of God at work. I think these four accounts are purposely given to us to see, if you will, four different scenes of the same ultimate story. By the way, if you look in your update in the, in the back in the sermon notes there, I encourage you to follow along because there's a pattern here. There's a pattern in terminology that goes through of each of these four. So these are not just four random stories being told, but these are four stories building on each other and supporting what we just saw. How is God good? Why should we give thanks? Uh, Let's take a look at these four four stories. Story number one begins in verse four, uh, when God's people have lost their way. Verse four, some, by the way, some, not all, not all, some, Some wandered in desert ways, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. That's like a bad day, isn't it? By the way, understand this. That's not a bad day. That was a whole bad period of time. This is not describing four incidences like in a person's day. This is during a season of time. And some of them were wandering in desert ways and wandering and wandering and wandering and they're finding no way, they're finding no place to dwell in. And they're getting hungry and they're getting thirsty to the point where it's like their whole, if you will, the soul faints within them. I mean, can you imagine being a family and and you have little children and you're you're caught in captivity and you're wandering and you're trying to find a place to settle down and you're like finding nowhere. It's just like a desert wasteland. How many days is it going to take before our soul just faints within us? By the time it gets to the place where we wonder what God is doing and is there a God and why is he allowing this to happen, right? That's what's taking place. But then look at verses 6 and 7. Lost. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Then. Then they cried to the Lord. Uh, Question as we go through each of these. Because each of these start with he. And then it has a then they cried to the Lord. I'm curious and I don't really have an answer to this, but how long was it until they cried to the Lord? Um, If they're anything like you and I, I'm going to guess it wasn't on the first day. It was probably towards the end of their options. At some point in time, They finally got to the end of themselves, to where the point where their soul had to just like faint out. Then they cried to the Lord. Why are we so slow to do that? When we lose our way, there is just something within us we want to make it happen, don't we? We just want to pull it together man up, woman up, take it up, warrior up in ourselves. But then they cried to the Lord. By the way, I want for you to know when I say all that, there's part of that I push into them and I push onto us because I think we're slow to cry into the Lord. But I do want to say this. They ended up crying unto the Lord. Amen. And they ended up there. And notice what God happened, what God did in it. He didn't end up saying, it's about time, you loser. It's about time. It's like, you know what? And it's because it's been so long. You know what? I'm turning my hearing aid off. No, that's not what's happening at all. Notice in this, even however, even if it was years and decades of time, in this what happens? Then he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. God showed up in it. This is a time where they are remembering, why should I give thanks to the Lord? Why should I say that he is good? Why can I confirm that he has an enduring love that's steadfast and forever? And this is one of the stories why. Because when God's people, when some of them were wandering and wandering and wandering and wandering and hungry until they got to the point of fainting, and then they cried to the Lord and the Lord showed up. Oh, by the way, that would be a great time in the text then for to remind us to thank the Lord, right? Oh, and that's what the text does. How cool is that? Verse 8 then, if you will, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. By the way, I think it's really important to understand, not only does that terminology in verse 9 carry up to the terminology in verses 4 and 5 with the longing and the hungering, But I also want to say this. It does not say he satisfies the soul of the one that's looking for the next cool thing. It's not saying that. It's not saying that uh, he he satisfies the soul of the one who's willing to give God a shot. Just willing to kind of give God the next option as the next try down their list. It's not that. It's to the point where it's to the one who's a longing soul. It's the one who's, hungering for. Listen, God steps in that life. God redeems. God does a work in that life. And sometimes, in all honesty, we're not hungry enough. We're not longing enough. We just are so blasted caught in our circumstances that we lose out on the relationship with God as the priority thing. Let them thank the Lord. By the way, before we go to the next one, may I to remind us, this is the context not of unredeemed people. This context is the context of God's people. Redeemed people, this is speaking to. And some wandered in desert wastes. Let's go to the next story. Verse 10. Some, not all, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God. By the way, it doesn't tell us in the first one that their wandering was their fault. This one, it does tell out of their rebellion against the words of God. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. Verse 12, so he, God, bowed their hearts down with hard labor. Well, oh, that's last Sunday out of the psalm where God tests his children and sometimes God in his most loving thing he could do is to push us to a place to where we bow our hearts down to him. They fell down with none to help. God put heat on them. They lost their freedom. Out of the rebellion against God, God allowed for them to lose their freedom. And they're put in chains in this period of time. And God is seeking to do a work in them, to humble them, so that they would do what? That they would cry out to the Lord. Oh, how cool is that? The story tells us that happened, verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Again, I wonder how long it took them in that situation to be there. But it took them long enough to get in chains. And he delivered them from their distress. That's super cool. Then they cried to the Lord. Oh, and he delivered them. And he, verse 14, brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Why should we give thanks to the Lord? Why would we think that he is good? Why does the steadfast steadfast love of the Lord endure forever? Because now we have two stories on the table of how God has done a work. And both of them finish with, let's finish the second one with, after bringing them out, verse 15, let them thank the Lord for it. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Loved ones, the gospel's here. For those that have lost their way, for those who have lost their freedom because of sin, cry out to the Lord and he will redeem and deliver. And we respond with thanksgiving. Oh, by the way, I would suggest that's Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Out of that. Got at work when his people lost their way. Got at work when his people lost their freedom. Third, got at work when his people lost their health. Um, verse 17, some, some were fools. Oh, that starts off kind of harsh, huh? It's true here. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. What's going on here? Well, some are fools. They're they're stuck in sinful ways. By the way, in Scripture, what are ways that uh, Scripture defines a fool? Uh, Fools are described in Scriptures as individuals kind of caught in life-dominating issues. Like, like for instance, here's some uh, caught in self-absorption. What are kinds of things that we can get so self-absorbed with? Like a life that's possessed with thinking about more achievement, more stuff, and more notoriety. I mean, when we just get so absorbed in those things, that's what we go for. I'm going to tell you, at some point in time, literally, it just it grabs a hold of your health and takes you out. And that's part of what was happening here. Another thing besides self-absorbed is just self-deceived addictions. Thinking that alcohol or drugs can bring me satisfaction. And man, in it, it can just take your physical life out. Or here's another one, sex. Like sex the answer. Sex is going to be the thing that brings me joy and happiness or money. You know, that'll bring it to me. And then we go after these things. And at some point in time, there's physical ramifications at times of those kinds of things. Let me put some others on the table of self-deceived addictions that we don't usually think of. Like here's one, perfectionism. Like I just have to do everything perfect because my identity is so caught up in what I do that I have to do it perfectly. If I don't do it perfectly, my identity is lost. I'm just telling you, good luck with that one because you are going to wear yourself out. Here's some others. Uh, just how I look, my weight. Man, that can impact. Here's another one, Anger. Power and position, just self-deceived addictions. A third one, self-absorbed, self-deceived, and self-indulgent lifestyle. Just party, party, party. Just me, me, me. I mean, just good luck with that one. Just party every Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and hey, while we're at it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And it's like I'm telling you, at some point in time, it catches up with you, you know? Everybody wants to be quiet on that one. (laughs) Hey, listen, I went to the University of Minnesota, and by God's grace, that wasn't my life in that. And I'm not saying I'm awesome. I'm just saying by God's grace, that wasn't. But I'm telling you, I saw it everywhere. And at some point in time, it started affecting guys' grades. It started affecting their lives. And it just started affecting everything that they're about and doing. And I just hate to say it, it would just pick our thing. And we tend to be fools. Every one of us. We tend towards foolishness. And that is an endeavor that will take you down. But look at verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. That's the third time. By the way, isn't that cool? Just God didn't go, you know what? You just disgust me, bore me, tire me irritate me and I'm just done with your foolishness. No, what does the Lord do? When foolish people cry out to the Lord, the Lord receives that. He loves repentance. And they cried out to the Lord and He delivered them from their distress. Verse 20, he sent out his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So what should they do? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. I like this, end of verse 22. And tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Hey, if you're not a singer, get over it. And start singing. Because like we have reason. If you are in Christ. You have reasons to sing. And I promise you. Even if you're not a good singer. Man I tell you. When we see the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. As bad as you might be. Or as timid as you might be. I'm telling you. It's going 10. It's going immediately to a 10. And everyone's like all over it. Okay. And like. Uh, more on-ramp on the thankfulness and song and more of that. And that's why we're just not the kind of church where in our singing, we're just like stand up, sit down, blah, blah, blah. It's like sing it, man. Let's bring it. It's in the process. It's part of being an overflowing of thankfulness reality. And there's one more account. When his people have lost their hope. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters, verse 23. Verse 23. And they saw the deeds of the Lord His wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. And they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. Man, small groups, it sounds like Jonah. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were, I like this English standard version, and were at their wits end. Have you ever been at your wits end? Yeah, they were like really there. I mean, they had lost their hope. By the way, there's nothing in here that says they did anything wrong. It's really cool in these four stories because some uh, directly say, some allude to having made really poor decisions in life. And yet there's the potential, I think, that the first one and the last one doesn't have anything to do with necessarily making wrong decisions in life. It just happened by God's hand. And here in this whole situation, they're like out on the ocean. It's so interesting because the Israelites were not known as seafaring people. In fact, it was the kind of thing back in that day that if you were to want to go on a cruise, it was like, by the way, don't take the Israelite tour because they are not good at ocean faring. And so here they bring up this one that even the, the, uh, the Jew at the time would read this and they would have this understanding. I mean, we even had people out on the sea kind of a thing. And, and so here it is and they in it. God takes them down to it and they're at their wits end. And, and what did they do? Hey, this is really interesting. They did the same thing the other three stories tell. Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And again, he delivered them. From their distress, he, he made the storm be still. Wow, that's Mark chapter four, Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. And the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet. I'll bet they were. And he brought them to their desired haven. Hey, have you ever been in a time where it's like you finally reach the end and you're so glad to be at the haven? I remember back in my business days, uh, my wife and I were overseas and we were going from meeting with a distributor in England to France. And so instead of uh, uh, doing anything else, we, we, we took the boat across the channel there. And let's just say, um, I don't really like being out on the ocean. Um, cruises don't thrill me a whole lot. If it's for you, bless your heart. Um, So we got on this boat and I stayed flat down on the seat. Didn't want to see the horizon because it just makes me feel weird. We got to the other side. Even though it was France, I kissed the ground. (laughs) It was so glad to be on land again where people were designed by God to remain. (laughs) Anybody else with me on that? Okay, everyone else like yeah. Um, he delivered them; he brought them to the other side. What should they do? Verse thirty-one: Let them thank the Lord. Why? For his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation. Of the people. By the way. It's not just a private thing. It's a corporate thing as well. And praise him. In the assembly. Of the elders. So sweet. Four stories. Four accounts. Of God at work. Why do they put there? They're put there. To confirm what was said. In verses 1 through 3. Because. When the scriptures tell us, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. One of the questions that should come out of that is, Prove it. Like, show me. Give me some some real fabrication, some real grounding in the reality of of the Lord at work in doing this. Show this to me. And that's what it just did. Four completely different stories. Four completely different types of things. Yet all similar in what happened. Some experienced this, not all. Some experienced this. and, And then they cried to the Lord. And when they cried to the Lord, God showed up in it. And then they responded in thankfulness that takes us right back to Colossians 2 6 and 7 and I would say that is the gospel my friend because the fact of the matter is, is according to scripture all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all are lost all have lost their way All have lost their freedom because of sin. All have lost their spiritual health because of sin. All have lost their hope because of sin. And yet when we cry out to the Lord, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be redeemed. When that takes place, then they cried out to the Lord. And what does he do? He delivers. He delivers them. And in that, what are they then supposed to do? Goodness gracious, thank you, Lord. Right? Oh, but not just once. Because what's with that? No, no, no. Overflowing thankfulness. Comes not only out of what God has done in your life if you know Christ as your Savior, but it's also tied to what God is doing in your life over time. And that's what this psalm is doing here. It is anchoring the first three verses, the call of the first three verses in real life stories. Do you have such stories? That you anchor where God has been at work? Stories in your life, stories of scripture, I'm going to tell you, you don't have these kind of anchoring stories and you will be struggling to anchor yourselves in being a thankful, let alone an overflowing thankful person. So what does it tell us about thankfulness? Well, present act of continuous overflowing thankfulness flows out of a knowledge of God not a knowledge of my present circumstances. We are so blasted tied to our circumstances, aren't we? And here's what ends up happening. I can give thanks when I feel thanks, and I feel thanks because life is happening the way that I think it should happen. Question, who's king and lord in that situation right there? You and I are. When life happens the way I deem it should happen, then I'm thankful. No, no. Psalm 107 changes all that. Because it changes all that because, listen, when I understand who God is, and we'll close the chapter up and it'll bring a little bit of clarity to this. When I understand who God is and what God is doing, my circumstances don't matter. I just know this. God is good and steadfast love endures forever and he is at work. And even in this present situation, if I don't like it, I don't enjoy it, and in fact, I'm praying it away, I can still be thankful in it because of who God is and what God is doing. I anchor myself in that. And I not only anchor myself in that truth, i.e. verses 1 through 3, but I anchor myself in some realities of what, how it's happened in my past. Because it's not just a truth thought, it's a true thought that shows itself as a reality. And when God's people are anchoring them in who God is and what God does, that is how we become overflowing in thankfulness. Doug, are you saying that I can give thanks even in really hard times? Even in times when I've lost my way? Even in times when I've lost my freedom? Even in times when I've lost my health? Even in times when I've like, lost hope? Yes. Absolutely. Because if God has asked us to do that, he also has equipped us to be able to do that. And it begins with understanding who God is and getting enraptured in him, and not in my circumstances. Present act of continuous overflowing thankfulness flows out of a strong biblical knowledge of who God is and that he is at work. And that means I can be thankful even if I don't feel thankful. I can be thankful even if I don't feel thankful because true thankfulness is not feeling based only. Thankfulness is truth-based. God is at work. And God is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. And he is at work even when I don't like it. Well, let's finish with the psalm. And I think we'll see this be substantiated. Verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. By the way, what is that saying? That is saying that God can take good circumstances like a flowing river and dry it right up. God can do that. And God does do that on purpose at times for things. To grow us, whether it's bad decisions we've made or whether it's just purely out of God maturing us and preparing us. But he can do that. Oh, but he also, verse 35, he turns a desert pool into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. God can take away, and God can pile it on. He chooses. And we need to be good with that. Verse 39. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless ways, but he raises up the needy out of affliction, makes their families like flocks. I'd encourage you to underline this next line. Verse 42. The upright see it and are glad. Do you see it? Because this is really, honestly, at the core of this. This is deep stuff, and this goes so counterculture to American culture and the prosperity world. Do you see it? God is at work. It is not about this being sold, this bill of life is just to be happy. We live in a war zone. That's the reality. And during a time of redemptive history, we live in a war zone where sin is allowed to have its period of time at rain. And yet, what needs to take place in that time? Listen, God's people stand up and stand out when they are thankful in a mad, ungrateful world. Not because they feel thankful, but because they are Thankful. And it overflows and it flows out of the upright. They see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Look at verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him, let her attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That, I think, is the kicker. To being a person that overflows with thankfulness. The person who is constantly bringing their head back into the game. The wise person, the upright, seeing and considering the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. God is at work. God is doing something. God is at work. God is doing something. God is at work. God is doing something. Even if I don't like my circumstances. And I put my trust in that because otherwise I become the king of all things. When I determine life is good, then I'm thankful. What's with that? Sorry, what's with that? That's just selfishness. And we all struggle with it, right? We all struggle with it. More considering the Lord, more considering he's good, more considering his steadfast love, more considering he redeems, more considering he gathers together. It's all about who the Lord is. That is what is the movement of overflow. It is all of who God is and what he does. More of that in us. And so God, I pray. That we would be a people who see that and grab a hold of it. Oh God, we have shiny objects all around us, everywhere. Crying out for our attention. Crying out as though that they will satisfy. Things, stuff, people. And the list goes on. The fact of the matter is, none of them satisfy. None of them redeem. And yet you know how we struggle to continue to try and have them satisfy us. God, I ask that you would help us to turn our eyes towards you. That you would help us turn our attention towards you. That we would see you more. We would see you bigger. And we literally would be a people who not only see it, but say it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. More of that in us, Lord, I pray.